friends, and welcome to Pod Return to the Waking Sands. We are a Final Fantasy XIV companion podcast where we explore the lore and story of Heidelin and beyond. My name is Jen, and I'm joined by my co-host and researcher. I'm Levi. Hello, Levi. Hello, Jen. Welcome back to the recording dungeon. Right. It's been a while. It's been it's, a while. It's not going to sound like it to people listening. But it's going it's, to sound. We have, a, we have an amazing backlog going. Uh, but yeah, it's been a while. It's going to sound like I'm sick because I was you sick. You are sick. Well, correct. Yes. That's not, let's not do time warp evil shit. Let's just speak in the present tense. I just did. Okay, great. Well, you said, well, I mean, you, said you were sick. Because I'm getting over the sickness now. I'm not ill I presently. See. Okay. I, my voice is still all fucked up though. Yeah, you sound sick. So apologies. Hopefully better luck next time, even though next time is like tomorrow. Two days. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll see. Uh, anyway, today we are talking about the first part of the final coil of Bahamut. Yeah. But first, what happened the last time, Jen? Fuck. That face you just made. Oh, God. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. So last time... Uh, we, we met Nail, and we fought Nail. Deus Darnus? Uh, post-defeat, we see that Nail, Nail is a, uh, a woman, and she is shaking off the, uh, the, the ensorcelment, which means that Bahamut has let her go. So, yeah, then, then Louis Swa pops up, and a, a legit thrall of Bahamut. And blasts Elise in the chest, and this is when she finally realizes that it's not her actual grandpa. And um, he's like, "You better stop meddling, or I'm gonna kill all y'all." And we're like, "Nope." And um, that's that. So we continue our mission. Nice, thank you, Jen. Woo! Do I get a fate? Sure. <laughs> you can get a lot of fates, actually. Yay! As part of the relic, oh, no. <laughs> the relic weapon quest. I got so many of those. Yeah, that's great. We are back again at the Waking Sands, and we are meeting up with Orion J. He starts off strong this time by reminding us that nothing awaits us but misery as we uncover the truth of the coils. Man is wont to cast light wheresoever secrets lie hid in darkness, though that which he illuminateth seldom bringeth him joy. So it is with such unhappy truths as Bahamut's immense shadow doth conceal. Yeah, man. Um, ignorance is bliss. That's that. Thanks, Jen, for that translation. You're welcome. Still, despite all that, Alize is going to press on. Absolutely. And she arrives on cue. Alize reminds us that we must disable two remaining hulks to stop Bahamut from regenerating. And Alize has located these hulks. However, she does not yet have a way inside. And Orianger is like, well, in addition to that, Bahamut has also bound other souls to his will that will endeavor to bar our passage. Some so, souls of unknown personage right. are bound to his will. <clears throat> yeah, some 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 guys maybe wandering around being mad that you're wandering around. And Alize realizes that he's talking about Louis Swa without right. saying Louis Swa. Right. He's, and she's yeah. like, yo, I'm cool. I can handle it. I mean, yeah. I mean, she got blasted in the in the chest by her grandfather, and she's like, "Back we go." Resilient, this woman. 
But regardless, like physically, we cannot enter the structure. We don't have a way in. And so what um, Oriange suggests is that we, the warrior of light, uh, tag along and perhaps by the virtue of our presence, uh, a way will a way in will materialize magically. He's like, that, that seems to happen. Our main character abilities will make it open. Correct. Yeah, we've got we've got plart plart. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what this where the art came from, but no, we have we have plot keys that please plot plot keys that enter open doors. So the two fragments are at the Burning Wall in Eastern Thanalan and the Singing Shards in Mordona. Yep. So we'll go to the Burning Wall first. And what Alize has done is she has sent ahead to these two locations some employees of hers. Well, I didn't realize that she had sent, like, quote-unquote employees. I figured that she had found, I don't know, like, adventurers for hire or something and sent them out to do a little reconnaissance. I, I don't know. We go we go so, out there. So, Jen... We solve the first mystery of final coils. We uncover the identities of the Jobuses that Elise carts right, around. Right, right, Yeah, I was like, why do these guys look familiar? We're unlocking the deepest secrets of the game, Jen, right here. Oh, I got goosebumps. So we're, we're meeting yet again up with Dex and Sinus. 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 Sinus? Yes. Yeah, it's like, it's not Sinus. <laughs> Dex and Sinus. Dex and Sinus. Dex and Sinus. Okay. So she has sent these guys, her, her former bodyguards or whatever, out to the Burning Wall and out to the Singing Shards. Because first off, these guys, they're working for Alize directly. Yes. They're not yes. Alfino's minders or like some family No, they are bodyguard. assigned to Alize. She hired them, I think, is probably more to be appropriate. Like, to be her chaperones in the beginning of the game? I think they're more her gophers. We had assumed they were her chaperones because they chased her out of yes. the quicksand. Yes. But the way that she interacts with them here... It's that they are her employees. Kind of gophers. Yep. Yeah. Gophers is appropriate. So I think that we just made some assumptions because we had no other idea back then. Fair. Yeah. Uh, well, they're, they're still in the mix. Huzzah. Yes. She says, go find my guy, Dex, I think, She's out there. Dex. Correct. We find him. He's atop the burning wall, the big blazing orange crystal formation that towers over eastern Thanalan. And he's just checking out the scenery. And as we walk up to him, he says, oh, hey, I'm Sinus. Mm-hmm. Like, Which oh, Alizé thinks you're Dex. Yeah. <laughs> so my expectation was when we go out to meet these guys who are, again, in monster-ridden, dangerous-ass landscapes um, to do some dangerous-ass work, that we're going to find people outfitted in, like, adventuring gear. Uh, but no, what we find is a, a poor man, this a Rogadin attendant, dressed like uh, Hildebrand, like in fancy um, valet-type garb. Not at all appropriate for what it is that he's doing. Yep. Um, and he's very clearly out of his element. He's just like looking for a door. And it's like, there is no door. There's no way in. I don't know what to tell you. And then Alize walks up and goes, hey, how What's goes the survey, Dex? Yep. Fuck. That's it's like, so rude. These guys are not twins. They're two Rogan and yes, but they, they besides having the same build as all Rogan and males do, they, they don't look anything alike one another. Correct. This is just like I, managerial insensitivity. He, he does not correct her. He no. never corrects her. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, not his place. 
But that's so I, that was so upsetting to me on a number on a number of levels because she sends these guys out who are they're not equipped. This is not in their job description. I can fucking guarantee it. They're not dressed appropriately. They are not outfitted appropriately. And she also can't remember their names. Like, goddamn, guys. Be a less stereotypical rich bitch. Anyway, so he's like, you know, well, this is this is Sinus, uh, not Dex. But um, he has not found an entrance. Uh, so when the fragment crashed into the earth, a massive disruption of ether spewed forth and it twisted the land around it and... Like, it's encased in the actual earth. And she's like, don't give up. After that, Alice says, let's go see Sinus in Mordona. Oh, right. And then and- the real Sinus is like, oh, um, by the way, about him. Uh, I lost contact with him about a bell ago. and Which I, I think is like an hour. An hour, yeah. yeah. And I fear something unspeakable has happened to him. He says, I fear something unspeakable has happened to Dex. He uses the correct name. He does not correct Alize. Right. Yeah. That's but, like that's the best option he has. Yes. She doesn't pick up on it at all because she still continues to call Dex Sinison Sinis Dex. Um, but yeah, that was like, he was like, please, please pick up <laughs> on what I'm putting down here. Actually, Dex may be in mortal danger, by the way. Right. Yeah, so um, I have lost contact with my brother. He might be in danger. This poor man. <laughs> these, these poor guys. And so, well, well now we got to go check up on fucking Dex. Real Dex. We hop over to Mordona and head for the Singing Shards. This is the area where Mordona's normal blue crystal formations mingle with an orange corrupted crystal. The eruption of blue crystals was triggered by the death of the dragon Midgar Sormer, in the Battle of Silver Tier Skies, whereas we now learn that the eruption of Orange Crystal at the Singing Shards came from this fallen fragment of Dalamud. So that's two ethereal crystallizations in Mordona in relatively recent history. Spicy. Spicy. Spicy taxi. (laughs) Maybe. We find find Dex out there, and he's been uh, mildly accosted by giants. But otherwise, he's fine. Uh, but he has the same story. There's just, there's no way in. He's kneeling on the ground in the classic Final Fantasy XIV. Yeah, I just got beat up yeah, pose. Yeah, exactly. And we help him to his feet and he's I'm all fine. good. Yep. I'm fine, ma'am. We can now note, having seen both Dex and Sinus, that Dex is bald, whereas Sinus has spiky dark hair. <laughs> Very different features. So rude. Alize, do better. Also, one has red gloves. It's like it's like they've tried to do everything they can to distinguish themselves. Yep. Like they got okay, name bro, tags. Like you wear you wear the red gloves. I'll shave my head. Whatever it is, maybe she'll remember our names then. No, she won't. <laughs> so anyway, um, but yeah, same story here. Is the the land has completely enveloped any sort of entrance that may have existed. There's there's nothing here. Um, and now Alize is like, well, fuck. We do not have time to excavate. That's like the only option is literally just to physically ex- excavate to whatever entrance might exist. Um, but not just then, Orianje pings us. Boop. He's found a way in. Of course he has. He will reveal the truth at the Ceruleum processing plant in northern Thanalan. Fuck yeah. Um, Alize is stoked. And again, I just have to say, uh, she just leaves these guys. Like, okay, bye. I'm off to do some shit. Good luck getting out of here. 
whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing they're paid very well. That is a strong guess, Jen. Yeah, I mean, they would have to be, right? Otherwise, have some self-respect. So out to the cerulean processing plant, and just to the north, we remember that we, we exited here once at Dalamud's Talons. Twice. Twice. Really? Yeah. Oh, shit. After no, a right. second coil. You're right, yeah. So this is where Rian Jay is like, this is this is where we found the way in. And she's like, but how is that a thing? Because we've already been here. Alize remarks for the first time, I think, once we arrive there, that when we left the coil, we were born out of there upon an ethereal stream. And beforehand, we just kind of left the instance yeah no 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 it was and hand-waved. popped out there it was yes it was not explained at all it was like oh great now we're here we for some climb reason out of a tunnel is there a little hole in the ground but now we nope. know no we were born there ethereally upon a stream well if we knew that okay yeah so uh that's really fucking critical information uh because that's kind of how we get around in eorzea so that's exactly what Orianger latched onto, right? Is the fact that there's an ethereal stream. There are ethereal streams uh, that we could tap into, um, just like we did to get into the navel, etc. So Orianger and team, because he's just in we, like we did this, we did that, and I'm like, who's this we? Um, I actually thought it was somebody else until this was it was confirmed that it was the other person. Yeah. Um, I mean, Rambrose. No, I, I. I don't remember the sequence of events here, but I thought it was. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, because she, be, she's the etheric, like. That'll be a Moogle, but. PhD, absolutely. I yeah. guess fair. That wouldn't make sense because this quest line can happen at any time. Correct. Fair that that's the gut feeling without thinking about the, the gameplay right. connotations. It, not that she would appear, but that, you know, like there would be a name drop or something yeah, like that. Fair. Yeah. Anyway, since we have a- arrived at the same location twice, Dalamud's Claw, right? Dalamud's Talon? Talon's. Mm-hmm. The other two hulks may have the same kind of backdoor, same emergency exit, whatever, venting place for their ether. I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they were looking for tributaries yeah. that would connect to these other locations. So if we reverse the polarity and travel backwards through the ethereal stream, we might be able to reach those remaining two hulks. Yes. So they have... Um, they're, or they're, they're going to use some modified etherites that will focus on the, the ripples from these other destinations. He's like these, these echoes so that we can have something to latch onto. We're going to focus ourselves via these ripples. Um, but again, this is, this is experimental. This is really dangerous. Um, this is going to f- at some point in the future, um, Google that out. And- oh my God, you're full. What? <laughs> I mean, it's. There's there's shit happening and it all it like connects okay just fucking sue me so Orianje you know he, he explains the risks of this is experimental you might die I, I feel like that kind of stuff in a way cheapens the threat yes because it's like obviously they're not going to kill our character so it's correct that's why I didn't really linger on it too much it, it's kind of an annoying trope in general frankly mm-hmm. where you have this experimental whatever for the protagonist and obviously it's going to work obviously it's going to work just, say, just gonna... say it's experimental it does sound experimental that's believable but like there's a very high chance that you will die nah not yeah. believable no <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna be fine orange when asked about like the we situation uh he's not very forthcoming 
and you know, this is this is such he like kind of caught in a in mo- he's not a good liar. Okay, Orianger and and myself are on the same we're on the same level at this point. We're, we cannot play hidden role games. We're just not going to do it. Um, so anyway, we're walking to Delamont's talons as we're having this conversation with Orianger. Orianger just says that he had to share to get this figured out. And Elise says, okay, fine, whatever, it's done. You know, yeah, he's like, I understand you wanted to keep this very close to your chest for very good reasons, but, like, this endeavor, this experimental etherite shit, I needed help. Yes. And she's like, fine. Like, Orianger, of course, I'm going to trust you to do what you need to do. And she lets it drop at this point. Right. Um, so when we get to Delamuth's Talons, we see a couple of Immortal Flame soldiers getting the etherite together. And she's like, why are there immortal flames involved? Which is ironic because she's the one who's been hiring all these fucking like wood whalers and, and fucking shits. Wood whalers and uh, Adder's Nest guys. Yes. To, to do her stuff, to camp out at things and give her intel. Alize wonders what they're doing here. You know, wh- why are there immortal flames at this etherite? Yeah, so much for keeping close to our chest. You're just going to tell the whole fucking company? And someone says... Though they are flames of Ulda, they are first and foremost retainers of House Levier. <laughs> it's Alpha No. Well, before sticking his fucking nose in it and Alize's business. God damn it! Before going on, I do want to camp out on the Immortal Flames response for a minute, Jim. Mm, okay. Because remember, I kept wondering, like, what the fuck are these people doing here? Why are they not doing their jobs? They're <laughs> Their military duties, which... It's if, basically sitting around the Cerulean processing plant and kind of doing fuck all. Well, I'm talking about the, the wood whalers as well, and also probably the Oh, um, no, you had opinions. Person. Yeah, like how faithful could they be to both organizations kind of a thing. Because their job is to work for, ostensibly for the Immortal Flames or whatever. And I don't know about this structure, but typically like in the real world, if you disobey your military orders to go do some side project, you're in deep shit. Yes. Right? However, if... So they they put the cart before the horse on this one. If they had approached the leaders of Eorzea, the you know the the alliance leaders ahead of time, and told them about this imminent threat, then of course they would have invested interest to send members of their company out to assist whatever that might be. I want to actually get back to what you said too next episode because there's mm-hmm. more to say in that subject too. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering why the fuck are these military officials, whatever, they've got like a fucking lieutenant at least in, in the mix here doing shit. Why are they slacking off in their actual job? Why are they mm-hmm. abandoning their post to go work for House Levier? And now apparently they're on their... They've been confirmed as being on the fucking payroll. On the payroll. For this house. So this is some shady shit. I know it's for the greater good or whatever, but also Who it's allows this? pretty I mean, shady. The Immortal Flames have to know about this co-allegiance, right? They don't have to. It could be like they're taking pay on the sly. I, we don't know that. I, well, this that, is was, not- that was our thought before. Like uh, the lieutenant from the Adder's Nest that she was just taking cash under the table, essentially, and hoping that her superiors don't notice. I really do think they're like double agents, frankly. Where, okay, so you go oh, about your planted them in grand the company flames. business. But when we come calling them. That's a total alpha no thing. Yeah. Total alpha no so thing. So that yeah. is my now my conclusion about this whole okay. intrigue with the grand oh, company members. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's planting seeds. Yeah. And no one is the wiser. Which is smart, but fuck. But Alize is in on that too because she's the one who's tapping the oh yeah, no um, she's been doing adders. it. She's been doing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the maelstrom. Anyway, that's all. Um, I do want to talk more about this whole 
grand company's kind of messiness yeah, next like, episode. Who are these people? So Man, what kind of organization? More on that then. So for now, though, a mystery person has clarified that these immortal flames are on the house levier payroll. Um, so yeah, the mystery, the mystery voice and the the we that has been working with Orianger is Alfino, who's been spying on his sister the entire time. Just let her be, bro. I, he's he's still in. I gotta like watch over her and monitor her mode. He grows out of it, but I hate it. She hates it. He leans on Alize immediately, saying that he also wants to keep this a secret. Orianne Jade brought me in, but I also think this is important that this is on the DL. Well, yeah. So we want to avoid a panic, right? But since the fate of the realm is at stake, one must accept help when offered. Right, Alize? <gasps> Don't you beat me into an answer. I, I think she's feeling a little bit of, um, I don't know, like doubt um, from Elfino about what her motivations are, if she's going to do the right thing when it comes down to it, if it's if the, if it's the choice between, you know, destroying Louis Soi or, you know, destroying the realm, like, what would you choose? And she's like, well, you know, this is she is now emphatic that she will strike down capital G grandfather and return Bahamut to ether um, and protecting their grandfather's legacy. And I mean, again, I mean, she's still kind of on the like the grandpa bandwagon, but this is this is this is moving in the right direction. But, you know, Alfino's disappointed. And again, yeah, exactly. So she's still operating under this borrowed resolve. It's still piggybacking on grandpa and, you know, protecting his legacy. And it's all about him. It's not about like, what is it that what is what is it that you are trying to do? Um, And she's like, you know, so the sense of purpose driving her is tied to her grandfather's and not her own. After Alfino says that Elise is acting on borrowed resolve, she fires back and says they both came to Eorzea to carry on their grandfather's wishes. Alfino says, sure, but he now has found his own reason. He's got reasoning beyond just Louis Soi's legacy. Borrowed resolve shall never be as strong as that which springs from within. Word but up. now we must prevent Bahamut's return. Yes, we, Alfino's coming as well. Mm-hmm. Alize says, fine, but only if she calls the shots. Correct. <laughs> this is her show. At this point, one of the flames introduces herself as Urkenrad. She'll be the one who helps us inside the, the coil. And as we're leaving, Alize makes one more cutting remark. Pay no heed to Alfino. She tells us, aside, <laughs> we started this journey and we will finish it. Yeah, we, we understand what's going on here. That's fine. I mean, how, how many times has Alfino inserted himself into her life? Just, you know, that's what he does. Anyway, she's trying so hard to, like, be an individual. I get it. Back at the plant, the processing plant, Urkenrad tells us we'll be sent first to the Burning Wall internment hulk, and we'll have less ground to cover because we're going to be teleporting deep inside now, not hoofing it from the top. But that means we'll be in the shit immediately. <clears throat> And that unlocks the final coil. Woo!
thank you to the players who came with us on our synced run of Final Coil. We got through all four turns. We cleared two sync. Two of them we skipped at some point. We were like, we've, we've seen the mechanics. We're fine. Yes. We'll discuss as those come up. <laughs> anyway, though, um, yeah, we covered tons of ground. Clearing two fights synced in a like a three hour sitting yeah. is real good. Super good. Yeah. And like I hadn't watched any like how to's ahead of time. I don't think. Maybe I did. You not, did. I did. Yes. <gasps> right. Because the first two I'm like, I did not. So I'm like, I want to go in blind. And I'm like, that's a bad idea. <laughs> so No, these ones are very hard, actually. These guys, there are no gimme turns in this coil. No jumping puzzle and you're done turns. <clears throat> Everyone has a boss fight with real mechanics you must do correctly to succeed. So uh, thank you again to Raven Ghostpaw on Warrior, to Pontau Jessel on Dark Knight, Farinay Persinia, Scholar, Mervin Corvus on White Mage, Borogoro on Ninja, and Rina Chelloway on Summoner. And then I played Dragoon. Jen played Bard. Yes. Much um, appreciated. Great work, everyone. Yep. Made it happen. Um, solid fucking efforts. So, turn one. Defying all odds, this experimental, highly dangerous, either right teleportation reverse it flow works. technique works. We arrive. We arrive inside safely. As soon as we appear, Alize gets us moving. We don't know how much further Bahamut has regenerated, and we need to put a halt to it as soon as possible. So we're now inside an enormous high-tech facility. Before us, we see innumerable storage tanks shaped like cones that are emitting a dull light. And as we press forward, we run into some clockwork spiders. If they spy us, they will activate these containment tanks and then discharge their opponents. They are slimes, lamias, and nagas. Yeah. So these are these are all just like tanks holding these chimerical beasts that the elegans have made. If you're in here unsynced, you can one-shot these spiders. And if you do, they will not summon in the adds. They actually must see you and react to you to summon them in. Fun. Which is an odd detail because that'd be impossible, of course, when this was released. Yes. Sure, it was impossible, but it makes sense if you if you get them before they're able to... It, it, it's interesting. It's interesting that there is a mechanic built in where... There has to be like a, there's an input and then there's an output. But if you get to them before they're able to output, then it doesn't happen. Yes. It's interesting. It's like a, not on a timer. It's dependent upon these these moms. Yeah. That's interesting. It's almost instant though if they do see you. But but even then, if you're unsynced, yeah. you're fine. It's just interesting, No, it, it is interesting. I agree. You're interesting. Thanks. We make our way through two platforms full of these containment cones and then use a jump pad to launch ourselves towards the back of the room. Now, a different kind of tank comes into view. These are transparent, liquid-filled cylinders, each containing a dragon. Mm -hmm. Before we can survey them, though, a immense dragon bursts forth from one of the containment cylinders to attack us. This is Imdegood. I'm do good. I'm do good. Um, in Imdegood. Yeah. A wingless quadrupedal dragon with long whipping tendrils emerging from the sides of its face. This fight <laughs> is kind of annoying, frankly. I think this is the first time that some signature mechanics in the game appear ever, namely Wild Charge. Wild Charge oh, is the name of an ability 
that's like a stack mechanic, but it's linear. It's a linear stack, which typically means that one player will be targeted by a marker. That player either needs to move to the back of the line or is like fixed in place. Other players must line up in front of them. Typically, a tank, usually the off tank, must be the first person in the line to soak the brunt of the charge. Mm-hmm. It's both a stack and also like a tank be in front mechanic. Yeah. I think like uh, King the same mechanic. Yes. Yeah. That was the first time that I had seen it. Um, and it's, it was a mind fuck. It's funny because a lot of people call these mechanics in the game by their coils names. Like people will call the donut mechanic Dynamo <laughs> because that's what Nail uses. It's called yeah. Dynamo for Nail. People will call this stack, the line stack, the wild, wild charge. charge. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I hadn't done it at all. I had gotten to King. <laughs> had no idea. Yeah. So welcome to the OG wild charge. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that happens here, obviously. There's another mechanic called Prey. It's just like a a shield check. You have to shield the person with Prey. If they do so, then you're fine. If you don't shield them, they'll become paralyzed. Yeah, we had to be like, I got Prey. Help me out. Yep. Just a bunch of yelling. Mildly annoying. (laughs) Yeah. Now, here is one of the fucks. Heat lightning. It's upsetting how quickly I've erased all of this from my mind. Sorry for getting sick, Jen. You say it and... um, no, we both we both got sick when in like the last three weeks. Oh, sure, but I got sick during when we were supposed to record. Yeah, like the day, the day of. We yeah, were, yeah. Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> when I say it, you'll remember what it did. Okay, great. So heat lightning is like a contagious vulnerability debuff. Oh. So when heat lightning goes out, you got to spread out to make sure no one is near another player. <laughs> it's three COVID. people will be marked by this heat lightning. This is just a vuln up, so you'll just take more damage. It's got a pretty short timer too, like a very short debuff window vuln up. No big deal, except that if you touch another player, the heat lightning will pass Mm. to the other player. It's really annoying. You can infect the whole party with heat lightning if you're not watching your debuffs (laughs) and it's time for a wild charge and you bring your little heat lightning debuff into the mix. Yeah, so it's like everybody with heat lightning, stay the fuck away. Everybody else, line up. So, you know, just communication. Yep. There's another thing as well, which uh, also Heat Lightning fucks up too, which is Cyclonic Chaos. This is the tether, and I believe you need to stack with the tether player to um, help them soak the tether before it blows up. Otherwise, they'll get killed. By the mm-hmm. way, anytime someone dies in this fight, the boss gets a buff. That's the theme throughout this coil. Yeah. So all the, all the boss fights in this coil, when people are dead, the boss is buffed. And in the final fight, the the longer you're dead, the more the buff it. Oh, the second fight, actually, I think the second boss, not the, third, Phoenix. Or um, oh, that's the third. Yes. Okay. Yeah, second to last. <laughs> Covered it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. There's three bosses or seven. It's second to last. But yeah, that's a that that is a thing. So as soon as somebody dies, resum because it's it's bad. It's bad news. And then um, the boss just does these untelegraphed giant cone attacks constantly. Constantly. So the Be- tanks front can never. And behind. Yeah, the tanks can never point the boss or the ads towards or away from the party. They always must be pointing Sideways. perpendicular to the party. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So we had the boss pointing basically like latitudinally. Yeah. Um, going east west so that we could stand north south. We always had to, st- whatever, whatever orientation, you just kind of hang out on the side of this boss. And then because there there's are, tail shit and there's cone shit. Then there's the ad face. There are multiple oh, ad phases sons here. Sons and daughters. We get the sons and daughters. Little baby dragons come out. 
if two sons or two daughters are are too close to one another, they will get buffed to shit and kill the tank mm-hmm. in two seconds, pretty mm-hmm. much. So yeah, the tanks need to make sure girl. you separate the sons and daughters. So yeah, you have like a son and a daughter over here. Yep. And a son and a daughter over there. And they're also going to do front and back cleaves yep. um, and AOEs around them. I, I mean, if you can manage it, there's a lot going on in this phase. And also when the ads die, they drop a electrical puddle on right. the ground. Correct. So again, a lot going on. In addition to the, the the cleaves and whatnot, so you do have to kind of keep the sons and daughters oriented in a certain way. It's really hard to do, um, but if you can manage it, huzzah! The second ad phase has another wave of sons and daughters, so it's also a DPS check too. Because if you have you get two pairs coming out at first, whatever, then a third pair comes out, and if you have not killed one of each gender before the third pair comes out you're gonna die because they will buff each other and kill the tanks it's cool cool and on top of this the arena gets smaller over time yes as there is an electrical field that will begin to close <laughs> in from the outside so whereas you had the entire arena to resolve your wild charges and heat lightning spreads and so it's on beforehand then it starts getting tight and hard towards the center <laughs> And towards the very end, you will have no room to dodge. Like, you will be knocked into the lightning, which doesn't kill you in one shot, but does do tons of damage. Bad so thing. you'll be just have to deal with being in the lightning sometimes for mechanics and just leave it. Yeah. Sorry, healers. Yeah. The whole fucking coil is sorry, healers, actually. Right? Yeah. Ugh. Our healers did great. Thank they you. They did. Yes. So anyway, that's the fight. We got this clear. It was tough. Um, we spent, like... I think the most time of any any of them actually in this fight, which makes sense. We're you know we're like calibrating right yeah. and figuring out uh, like communication styles and you know like tank off tank stuff and um, I, I think that's totally normal. You know, sure. So yeah, it it got a lot more efficient as we went on, but that's that's to be expected. Yeah, but no, we we got this clear legit. Um, yeah, no, we're like, no do, we, do we want to do want to skip it? We've seen all the mechanics. Do you want to clear? We're like, let's fucking clear it. Yeah, and we did. Yeah, it was great. So. Uh, with that, we have cleared M. Do good. We did. We did good. We did good. After defeating the boss, both Alize and Alfino join us. Alize marvels at the sheer quantity of contained dragons. This is a barbaric practice, she says. Was this really necessary as a defense? Mm. She wonders. And Alfino's like the Alligans had plenty of other defenses, you know. Why do they need dragons plus all the chimeras and all the other shit they got? Exactly, exactly. So again, Alfino takes this opportunity to be um, pedantic and patronizing. I mean, not really. Look, okay, Alfino bugs, right? At this at this stage in his life, he bugs. But at least he asks an open-ended question and, and allows her to like kind of think about it. But she comes to the conclusion right away. The but question is is. Has Elise determined by whose will Bahamut exists? And, As in, and, where does the faith come from that sustains right, him? Right. Yeah. So she, you know, so this moment, um, and she's like, "Well, you know, no," because at first I thought the elegans had found a way to synthesize prayer to keep him sustained, and then, and then it dawns on her. This is a matrix situation. So the Alligans have imprisoned Bahamut's children in a, as a perpetual source of energy. They're not kept as defenses. They're batteries, you know. Right. Um, they're kept as fuel. It's as, it's as ingenious as it is cruel. These myriad tanks here, each one contains a dragon who is 
praying to Bahamut for salvation. Because they're kept in a constant state of distress. So in a way, yes, they have th- synthesized prayer. Um, but it is it's more actual like they farmed prayer. prayer. They have farmed prayer. Yeah. Yeah. So at this, Alize says that Bahamut's fury is no longer in question. You know, like the how and the why. Um, man is responsible for the calamity. Like we have fed this we have fed this fury. At this, Alfino asks, Will you turn your anger towards humanity, Alize? Don't patronize me, she retorts. She's just acknowledging our guilt. If we defeat Bahamut, then the entire system that the Hulks depend upon should fail, and these dragons should be put to rest finally. Yeah. And so we press on. On to turn two, down to 6,835 yalms below the surface. That's a lot. We're now inside the regeneration grid. We appear on a platform of red algan metal that is projecting out from an enormous replica Dalamud. So, yes, we're on a miniature version of the moon itself, Mm -hmm. deep below the surface. And it is still massive. The duty finder text says that this is the device that regulates Bahamut's regeneration. Mm. I infer from later dialogue that Bahamut was actually contained within this thing or a Dalamud very much like it. Like maybe it rebuilt this like containment mini Dalamud just because it it had to kind of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, essentially this was Bahamut's view for millennia. Inside of it was Bahamut's view. Yes. Yeah. Because we appear on the outside on one of those. They're almost like kind of like crucifix like prongs of metal, you know? Yeah. And we walk inside upon this prong and behold this hollow moon that is massive in the interior and has the inside points of those same prongs. And this is where we speculate Bahamut was held in a place just like this for untold centuries, millennia, whatever. It reminds me of that scene in The Incredibles where Mr. Incredible finds... um, syndrome's like secret little office where he can enter the the chronos password right right incredible spoilers but it is a it, it is a, a like a catwalk that juts out into into the middle of space and you're surrounded by this this sphere cavern and when it's determined that he is a uh, an intruder then all the little nozzles pop out of the, the the sphere and they start shooting him with those like the goo balls or whatever but that's what it reminded me of cool Q-Sphere. <laughs> I fucking love that movie. It's so great. <laughs> I haven't seen it for so long. Oh, love it. Oh, God. It's just, it's just got some it's like amazing like mid-century vibes and it everything looks gorgeous and cool and slick. Um, like love this it. replica Delamude. I mean, kind of. Yeah. I wouldn't say gorgeous, but it is impressive. And slick. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it slick. In the middle... Of this, there is a gold ring with inward curving spines. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. So in this turn, we are meant to split into two parties and clear separate paths. If you're doing it solo, you can. You just have to go down both paths to unlock the way forward. You'll go down these kind of um, separate pathways, take jump paths to jump between the different prongs, stand in these energy fields to unlock force field barriers and then proceed. There's one point where you must unlock a barrier from opposite sides of this impasse before you can proceed. 
that's where you got to backtrack if you're doing it solo. Mm-hmm. Once you're done, then you can press on to the boss. This is at the core override. And here we're met by a three-headed cybernetic dragon named Kalia. This is one of the fights where we saw all the mechanics, got to the last phase, and then called it because of time. There's a lot going on here. It's kind of difficult. So first off, for most of the fight, you will not be able to go inside the boss's circle. This is from an effect called Barrowfield, which will fill the boss targeting reticle thing with a death AoE. So you cannot dodge through the boss. I did that like four times. <laughs> You're like, there is no other fight in this game, I don't think, there where is. you can't do that. There is another fight, Jen. Of course there is. Which it's one? It's in the most recent Deep Dungeon. Oh, Do you okay. know why you got to do the same thing in that one, Jen? I forgot. Oh, okay. That makes all the sense in the world. But so, yeah, no other no other enemy. Also, I doubt, I doubt that's true, too. I, I'm sure there are more enemies besides that. Maybe... I haven't found one. Um, I, don't remember I can one. think of one in Stormblood, which does not have the same effect, technically speaking, but functionally the same. You don't go inside the boss area. I mean, it's not. It's not like a. It's not making me question reality. Like anyway, it's, it irrelevant. Seems like, it, right. Don't yeah. go inside the boss circle. But fuck, <laughs> it's just. It's so rare that, of course, you're just gonna do it. Of course. So um, that, of course, interacts well with the main mechanic of this phase, which is nerve gas. Nerve gas is a one-third or one-half of the arena AoE, it varies, in which case the boss will essentially hit the ground with a giant pizza slice, essentially, and you have to dodge around the boss's exterior to avoid the nerve gas. It will do this three times in succession, so you'll have to dodge around the boss's perimeter uh, as it keeps doing nerve gas blasts around its side. Yep. However, it will not repeat the same pattern twice in the same rotation, so once a section has been hit, you can be there and will be pretty good. This is this is probably the easiest mechanic in the fight. Yes. There's also a um, tank buster, which is you have the tanks need to tank swap mid buster because it's like uh. two heads. One head bites and you tank swap. So the other head bites the other tank. Goddamn. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so that's the first phase. Oh, also, there's the the missiles, the Seed of Sea and Seed of the River. Mm, mm-hmm. This one is a pain because it's so hard to read. Mm-hmm. So there either it will be spread or stack missiles. However, the problem, though, is that the marker is always gold. Yeah. There's like a little tiny thread of light that can be different and, colors. And that's not that isn't even the, the, the indicator. So you have to watch for the missiles going up in the beginning before you even realize like shit is happening. Really? And you have to notate. Are they red? Or are they blue? And if, like, I think red is river and blue is sea. Yeah. Um, and one is stack and one is spread. Whatever the first one is, you do the other one. Um, we got pretty good at, at, at figuring this out. But in the beginning, we're like, what the fuck just happened? It's just really bad at signaling what's Correct. happening. Yeah. The, the the visual. And the camera angle I have to, like, not go in the death wall yeah. and, and not get cleaved by the nerve gas yeah. is not the one I need to see the, the missiles. Yep. Nope. So. It's a pain in the ass. Pain in the ass. Anyway, we do that. Phase two. Phase two is a pain in the ass also. <laughs> this is the ad phase. So we get three shapes coming out. We got an oh, egg shape. Oh, my God. We got a sphere shape. We got a cube shape. They're all Alakin nodes. <sighs> Let's see. I think the, the egg's the one that goes autonomous and just kind of rotates around the arena yep. gradually. Yeah. And then you got a sphere and you got a cube. I don't know which one's which. 
There, there's a sphere and a cube. This, they this, suck. The sphere is vulnerable to physical damage. The cube is vulnerable to magic damage. And the cube... Uh, so you need to split your party up appropriately so that they're doing the right amount of... Or the right kind of damage to them. And they're also going to be moving around the arena. You need to keep them what separated. What happens is that the egg is the one moving around the arena. Yeah. The egg goes so, on its own. And if two shapes get too close to one another, they will merge and you will it's, wipe. It's a wipe. Yeah. Forget about so it. So that means that you have to keep doing a dance to make room for the egg. Yep. Make room for the egg. I'll make room for the Holy Spirit. And in that time, we also need to have like two separate parties um, managing the location of the sphere and the, the sphere and the cube, so they're not hanging out with the egg, but they're also not hanging out with one another. And much like Thorn March, you also need to make sure that they will die at almost the exact same time. And this is difficult because the cube has far less HP than the sphere. You can't just wail on both and be like, it's fine, because the cube will die faster. And when if one of them dies before the other, the other one will then beeline for the egg like you have no fucking time and then they'll merge and then you'll die yeah so they need to die at the exact same time and then y'all go for the egg so as far as i can tell the cube was no big deal that was fine the, the cube seemed to have minimal mechanics the sphere though the melee target oh there's like the a physical target thing. that sucks yeah because it's constantly blasting out these like the AOEs. aoe stacks and if you're not all up on the cube yeah then you will die to the stack mechanic. And again, if you die, you're buffing the boss. And also, if you die, then you can't stack properly because you're down numbers to stack. And so it's a, you. it's a vicious cycle. Yep. Yep. It's yep. And also during this, there's more lightning shits going on. Well, yeah, because Kalia is still like doing cleaves and cones well, it's and not whatever that. the fuck. It is the oh no, are there are there ads doing no, shit? No, it's <gasps> if you just no, okay. it's the, it's the other thing, the other nodes that are chilling. No. Oh my god. No, there's three nodes that just you cannot fight. They're just calm your You calm your tits. I will not because <laughs> I'm trying to say, Jen, that the worst thing in this fucking face is not all that, but no, it is that there is once again a fucking five second debuff timer that appears out of nowhere on random players, on, on oh. random characters. And if it's That's the fucking right. lightning it's all lightning. over again yes. from turn nine. <laughs> Where if you don't book it away from the other people, including people you're stacked with for yes. the goddamn sphere stack, yes. you will kill everyone with your fucking lightning debuff that has oh, no visual indicator besides yeah. a five second debuff. That's it. And you just have to be on your sheet and be like, oh, God, I have the debuff, guys. See you later. So at a certain point, Jen, on our furthest poll, I had died due to some bullshit, probably. <laughs> and um, I was just watching debuffs and calling out the debuffs because... Like, right. Honestly, I mean, probably the best use of my time. I, right? Yeah. More Somebody so. just die and monitor debuffs, please. And Great. even on the ones when I was pulling, I was not able to watch mechanics on the ground because I was watching everyone's debuff <laughs> to make sure I could call them I know, because I know. the cost of a debuff is far worse than me getting clipped by some random AoE. No, it will destroy the party if you're I not monitoring the I fucking hate shits. this mechanic, Jen. No, what it's, is this? It's... You get a debuff, spot it in five seconds, or you wipe the raid. Yep. It's some real bullshit. Yeah, you will wipe the raid if you don't monitor who's got this God lightning damn. bullshit. Yeah. So anyway, that is what I was trying to complain about. Okay. Jane. Yeah. So there's there's that, which is the bullshittest of the bullshit. Um, but before these, um, the, the cube and the sphere and the egg uh, nodes come out, um, there's going to be three other green spiking nodes. You cannot fight these things. They're just there. 
to throw out cleaves yeah. all over the That's arena. Fine. So, right, I mean, like, it's it, it almost doesn't even bear mentioning because yeah. everything else is so much more insane. We're like, oh, whatever, a cleave. <laughs> what does bear mentioning, though, is that the boss will drop a death field upon them at the phase change. So if you are center <laughs> when the phase changes, you will die. And it, this is this is this is the the boss fight. Just stay out of the middle. Just don't be in the middle. In our crown glory poll, it's when we had to stack for one of the missiles because I I had the marker. I brought the stack marker to the center because that was easy to get to. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, sure. And that of course was right when the, the phase changed. So everyone stacked on me. Did the <laughs> missile mechanic correctly? Good job. And then the death field appears, killing like half the party. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And I remember after you're like, all right, I won't stand in the center anymore. Anyway, um, the <laughs> if we get past the ads, and we did that a couple times, actually, despite all the shit, we got past the ads phase a couple times to the final phase. The final phase has one more bit of fun, which are the tethers. So now you've got players who are tethered together who must be close oh, to one another. Right. However, there are two pairs of tethers. Each pair must be opposite sides of the boss because right. it's you like will... it's like one is this this the sphere the ghost of the sphere and one is the ghost of the cube you like so the two of you who are tethered together you got to be real close okay yes but do not go to find your other tethered buddies um because it's bad so you all are gonna have to like circle around the boss's hitbox to stay apart but also avoid the fucking uh nerve gas the nerve gas which is yes. the half a the half arena cleave Half arena cleave, one third of arena cleave. So good luck. So good luck to you. Yeah, because once you get once you get into the safe zone, you have to be at opposite sides of the safe zone and then do the same for the other. It's it's a whole thing. Yeah. I, this is I think these are the last mechanics that we saw, and that's it. That's the fight. Exactly, and we're like we saw it. We're good. We don't want to do this shit again. <sighs> it's more that we had to clear four turns in, in like three hours. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but we did it. Uh, we got to the final phase. We saw it all. And we have defeated Kalia. Once that is done, once Kalia falls, Alfino and Alize take on the, they, they take in the interior of the replica moon. Mm-hmm. They speculate that Bahamut must have gazed at this same site for millennia, unable to move, unable to die. His hatred from humanity must have burned bright during those times. Yes. And that hate says Alize, found a vessel and nail von Darnus. In truth, Bahamut should be pitied rather than loathed, but our endeavor is still a necessity. It will put Bahamut to peace and also save the realm as we know it. Yeah. His is not the only soul who cries out for vengeance. On now to turn three, final turn of this episode, Jin. Mm-hmm. Next to last. 8,872 yalms deep. Back in the heart of the coil with Bahamut's body. It's like five and a half miles, man. It's scary. We're deep. Yeah. So deep. Put that core asleep. So first off, um, we see now Bahamut before us in this regeneration chamber. He is still being fed power by the surviving coils. His body is coming along nicely. Yeah. Much more developed than beforehand. And there was some question in our group about these glowing red tendrils at the end of Bahamut's wings, and there's a similar effect at the base of Bahamut's shattered torso. I believe that these kind of red tendrils are meant to represent his regenerating body, yeah, like the framework of the pieces that are being put back together, like in a sci-fi 
rebuilding chamber. Totally, yeah. It's just like mapping out yeah, exactly. where the bits are going to go. Because you can see that these pieces are only where his body is still shattered. And they're kind of sprawling in the overall shape of his remaining form. Yeah. We take that in and we're now on to voiced cutscenes, Jen. <gasps> Whoa. So when you're doing this for real, which is what we were doing, aka synced, there's only so much time they give you in the cutscenes. So if you're like me and you need to let a thing go, stop and take some notes, it's not going to work out very well for you. Um, because it will kick you out into the fight and you miss out on the entirety of this, the fucking cutscene. Because there is a giant cutscene before the fight starts. Correct. So the game is like, all right, you can blast through this, fine. But if you're going to take your time with it, fuck you, other people are waiting. Which is fair, but I missed the bulk of this entire, this voiced cutscene. So I couldn't see it legitimately yet again. With my character, I had to go to YouTube and, and read the rest of it and take notes. So You can go back, Jen. You could have gone back unsynced and had the scenario the, the cutscenes cut scene enabled. Yeah, I, I could have, for sure. But You can still do it. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, it depends on how strongly you feel about the whole thing. You know, if, if you want your character, your warrior of light, to be in these environments and talking to these people... To see your character on the screen interacting, like that's that's kind of a big deal. That's like the reason why we're doing it. So when you're watching a YouTube video and you're looking at someone else's like ass hat of a character with like a pompadour and a fucking Fall Guys hoodie on, it's not the same. What I will say is this cutscene especially is not about you whatsoever. No, no, no. You may as well not you're be just, here. You're in your environment. Yes. Like you're in the background. So that's that's why you just you can see yourself in the environment and that. That's that's immersion, right? Uh -huh. it, it you feel a little bit more connected yep. to it. That's all. But yes, you're you're not talking. Well, this is why they stopped putting cutscenes before scenarios. Thankfully, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you don't have like the auto progression. Somebody could just camp out in here for fucking ever and ruin everything. Yeah. So. Uh, now they will do those like at the back end of the scenario or in the intervening quest steps before you actually begin the fight. Good job, dev team. Yeah, they figured it out. They learned. So here we are. Uh, the twins remark that Bahamut has almost regained his full form. And they move to disable the coil, but Louis Swa appears before us to intercept. Grandfather? No, that man is dead. I will not dishonor my beloved grandsire's memory by calling you such. You are but his twisted shape, the thrall of a mad prime. You were foolish to disregard my are you so convinced of your own righteousness? Tis the rightness of our path that led us to return. Eorzea will never be safe whilst Bahamut remains to threaten all we hold dear. What of the hero who gave his life in defense of the realm? Do you truly dispute the justice of our cause? Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. You didn't say the magic word. Um, he does not say that. He does not say that. He admonishes Elise for not heeding his warning. Uh, you know, remember that time that I shot you in the chest and I said, stop it? Uh, this isn't you stopping it. Are we so convinced of our own righteousness? Yes. 100%. That is Alfino's cue indeed in Jin's apparently. <laughs> As Alfino steps in, tis the rightness of our path that led us to return. Eorzea will never be safe while Bahamut remains. 
And what of your justice, Louis Swa? Ooh. Ooh. Well, you know, Louis Swa, the thrall, um, he says that they know nothing of the world save for the most recent conflicts. And then he deigns to enlighten us with some history. In the third astral era, the Elegant Empire invaded southern Mericidia. Their advancement was assured. Their actions depraved. Um, like, just like an elegant, right? Desperate for salvation, the Mericidians prayed to one of their ancestors. The Mericidians are dragons. This is the homeland of the dragons. Correct. To clarify. Thank you. So the Mericidians prayed. Well, so in, um, which fight is it that we, we fight ads that are like the, the, the pain of Mericidia, the turn blood of Mericidia? and turn nine. Yeah. So there's illusions for sure. Um, so the Mericidians prayed to one of their ancestors, one of the first brood, Bahamut. So he rose from the depths as their new god. Uh, however, this only increased the fervor with which the elegants fought and the, the binds and fetters testaments to elegant cruelty and hubris is uh, in what is currently imprisoning Bahamut. Right. So when Bahamut appeared to fight the elegans, they said, oh, shit, look at that. We can we can use that. Ooh, that looks like some good fuel. Let's put him in a moon. Exactly. <laughs> Here, Louis Swa says that he too, he tried to summon the 12 in the final moments before the calamity. Is he any better or worse than the dragons? And so the world will not know true justice until humanity has been expunged. All right. So that's your trauma talking. Um, we don't talk in extremes. Okay. He continues um, that man is distracted by his own primacy, making him blind to the commonness of his condition, which is fair, and the truth of his tyranny. Fair. Um, and the dragons will never be at peace if men remain. Um I mean, there are there's opportunity for for shittiness no matter who you are. Okay, and so Louis Swa is sounding a bit like an edgy fourteen year old right now. And so Bahamut's designs on vengeance are made crystal clear here. Uh, humans are a plague, flawed race, blah blah. Um, and Alize is really incensed that words like this would come out of even a facsimile of her grandfather's mouth. Um, that he would speak so dimly of mankind. And he believed so much in their strength, in their ability to stand together and resist the darkness. Um, but can mankind, and this is Louis Swa, can mankind stand together when they never even seem to find common ground beneath their own two feet? Like the twins, like you two, mm -hmm. Alfino and Alize. Oh, yeah. No, this is, this is bullshit louis swa calls them out they hide their own agenda behind the banner of eorzea's salvation but they are acting out of self-interest are they the twins any different than the elegans Bit oh a, my god yeah, yeah a logic leap some fucking yep. hyperbole here just a little bit jesus christ i mean but just politicians now speak. he mentioned something important this is I mean, and like, we can't, I have to discount everything now he says. Now he mentioned something important. <clears throat> Bookmark this for next episode. He says that he gifted the twins their grimoires and hoped that it would bring them together in vain, it seems. False. Okay. So, Alphino's turn. And he, I mean, he agrees. Like, there 
there is some truth to what you say, sure. The fact that people sometimes cannot find common ground, that they can't agree. And with, like, enormous populations, there's going to be, you know, dissent or whatever. Like, that's that's a thing, but we can overcome it. Um, and But all this, you know, quote-unquote, humans bad talk it has it has no power uh, coming from the mouth of Archon Louisois. And, by the way... Um, do you champion the cause of Dragonkind now because he speaks as Bahamut's thrall or because you've transcended the human form? The words are the limits of man's existence. Well, limits of man's existence. Alfino has seen through to the truth of Louisois' current condition. Ah, so the possibility did not escape your notice. What I prayed for, and what I have become. These are the keys that unlock the truth behind Eorzea's Reaper. If you would have them, then you must needs take them by force. Come, rend this divine form asunder and claim your answers. Louis Swat notes that Elphino. Louis Swan knows that Alphano knows, mm-hmm. that he knows. Mm-hmm. What he prayed for, what Louis Swan prayed for, has come to pass. The keys that unlock the truth behind Eorzea's rebirth. And at this point, Louis Swan transforms. Mm-hmm. Into the primal phoenix. Into the phoenix, the blazing blue bird, symbol of rebirth. Mm-hmm. He's a primal! Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, he's a primal! Thank you, Jen. <laughs> yeah, if they truly wish to learn the truth of the calamity, then they must destroy him. And Alfino and Elise are undeterred. It's a hard pill to swallow, but it's they're fight do it. time, even yep. despite that huge transformation. Oh shit, Grandpa's a bird now. <laughs> that old chestnut. So this is the Phoenix fight. did clear this one by a hair like we were seconds if that from the enrage at the end did did we only have like three or four people alive at this point too it was yeah it was really rough Mm -hmm. but we got the clear and that's Mm -hmm. what counts that's what counts so uh the phoenix this is the one where if you are dead the phoenix will get powered up and the longer you're dead the worse it gets Yes. yes got some phases here the tank buster gimmick for this fight is that the boss casts a spell called revelation this is a debuff. The next time the boss casts Revelation, and if it hits the same target as the last one, they will die. So the tanks have like a tank buster cast timer to swap. It's very interesting, actually, because normally you have to swap ASAP, but you have like 30 seconds, I think, or more to swap, which is important because sometimes the off tanks doing something and they need to finish up their business before coming back. So you can kind of bank the tank swap for a little bit, which gives you some flexibility. It's actually, it's fairly interesting, frankly, in the way it kind of interfaces with the fight mechanics. I believe you. I I honestly cannot devote any brain space to tank, off tank, 
fuckery. Okay. Yep. I understand that so it's, it's... it's like you've got a pot on the front burner, Jen. <laughs> oh, my God. And then it's going to boil over. So you put it on the <laughs> no, back no, no, burner. No, it's, it's literally like organizing Thanksgiving. Yeah. You're, you're shuffling from burners to oven to toaster oven to you're, you're, pay, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. But yeah. the thing is, though, like if you got some gravy on the front burner and it's good to go, you don't want it to get cold because no, then it'll congeal. Exactly. You have to put it in the oven to keep it warm. No, you can put it on the back burner, you see. But there's corn on the back burner. There's not corn because we only have two tanks here, Jen. You're oh, confusing okay. the metaphor. Oh, okay. You put it in the back burner and you can deal with it in like, you know, 30 seconds a minute while you're dealing with your corn or whatever <laughs> elsewhere. Knowing and that it's still going to be okay. Yes, exactly. Yes. But eventually you got to take it off there and deal with it. You got to stir it. Yeah, you can't just let it live. No. Back there. Yeah. Because it'll get bad. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you got bruise. some time. So you can time the interaction with the gravy until you're ready. You don't need to do so ASAP. Wonderful. We've all been there. Yep. Yep. The old gravy shuffle. I learned from Jen this year that she has always done gravy from a packet. <laughs> Called out. We did a lot of things from packets, which is why I hated Mexican food for so long. Mexican in quotes, I'm assuming. Correct. <laughs> yeah, get some like 7% fat because we all thought less fat was good back in the day. Yep. And then you get the, the fucking McCormick brand Mexican spice in the little bag. And you add that to your ground beef and then you put it in some shit ass hard shell taco shells and... Uh, shredded iceberg lettuce and chopped tomatoes. You're making no me onion. hungry, Jen. No onion. Um, the shredded, like shredded, sh- shredded cheddar cheese that is not going to melt ever. Um, maybe sour cream if we remember to get it. And uh, that's your dinner, and it sucks. This has been the food trauma corner. <laughs> now then, Join back us next to time <laughs> for pork chops. Yeah, the other white meat. No, the other gray meat. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a tank buster. Then there are the Benus. These are the ads in the fight. Uh, these guys will buff the boss while they're near the boss. So you need to pull them away from the boss. We tried to have the DPS like pull them, but they do fuck tons of damage. Yeah. So we had to have the off tank pull them. And they're really hard to see, actually. They're tiny. Yep. And they appear inside the boss. So like I started watching the like the enmity list, actually, for right. them to appear. Yeah. Anyway, kill the birds. Kill the birds. Then there is black fire and white fire. Mm. So this is actually pretty easy. It's more complicated on paper than it is. Essentially, oh yeah, you you get people targeted by this black fire. It's an AOE. It'll drop on the person, and you just then spread out a little bit. Yeah, if you drop on people, it's bad, obviously. So don't do that. And then there'll be a white fire effect later on. The white fire will explode on the player it appears on, but if you drop it on the black fire, it will nullify the black fire. Yep. So pretty much, the same people that get the black fire will get the white fire most of the time sometimes it was different people like somebody had a black fire and sometimes i'd get the white fire huh yeah okay it i I think it was supposed to be the same people i don't i don't know that that was in the the guide that i watched but it can be different people maybe someone died or maybe it fucked up i don't know that's totally possible yeah but anyway um so the three people will drop the black fire at whatever position and then people get the white fire they'll go up and stand next to the black yeah. fire neutralize it and, and good if to go. the same person gets it which it should be the case they can just you're, like stand you're already your... just like right there yeah exactly yep. so just drop it back and nullify the fire it's just shit to do it's not difficult that's phase one uh phase two adds in the purgatory effects these essentially are markers that need to be yeah you just need to swap 
um, transfer this buff before it expires. The way we handle this was having the healers take the buff. So you drop the debuffs on the healers, healers swap it, good to go, pretty much. Yeah, so we, we had, had like a place a, for the healer to stand. Yeah, the, the like, brand get exchange it, then... station, pretty much. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we're just like, hey, you got any drugs? Thank you again, healers, for doing tons of work this run. Yeah, man. Now we got blue fires and red fires. Ah, this one's a little less easy. So the blue fire is a blue marker on a player when the drops um they'll drop a blue puddle on the ground it's a big puddle yes um this is the hardest because it can be tripped accidentally and if so you're fucked for the next mechanic Ugh, yeah so you just have to make sure that no one goes near the fucking blue puddle until it's time for the red fire to come out yeah so the person with the blue fire um we had them just go hella south if if, if they could sometimes it's hard but get the fuck away from everybody drop it out on, in the in the the, the boonies and then um Eventually, someone will get tethered with red fire, and it's um, this red fire orb that will tether to somebody, and it will follow you. If it hits somebody, it's it's gonna fuck everybody up. So what you need to do is someone needs to run into the blue fire and get the blue fire debuff, and then intercept the red fire again to like nullify it. So conceptually, it's the same, but this this has a much greater chance to fuck everybody up if you don't get it right. Yep. Now on to phase three. This is the ads phase. So Luis Wa goes to the end of the arena and gets surrounded by like a flame pillar. One shot kill, don't touch. <laughs> then we get ads coming out at this point. So there are um, more Banus. Mm -hmm. Because it's a Phoenix fight, when you kill the Banus, they will be reborn into bigger, bigger. Banus. <laughs> yes. So don't go crazy here just killing all the guys. Because they will all resurrect then as big Benus. You will not be able to fight all of them as big guys. So kill one, move the other smaller guys away, let the one that's dead regenerate as a big guy, then kill the big guy, then kill another small guy. So you just like, you know, stagger them. Yep. Because you will be overwhelmed. Exactly. Then final phase. Now we get the Fountain of Fire. This is a fun mechanic. So... Fountain of Fire is a big flame puddle on the ground. It needs to be soaked a total of eight hits, as in you need to take eight debuffs from this puddle to make it go away. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. While it's up, the boss will get buffed. However, of course, every time you take a debuff, you take more damage from the puddle. So the math here is that the off tank takes four debuffs, and then DPS split the remaining four debuffs between them. Yep. So two on one, two on another. Yep. And that's that. That's that. Uh, it's easy in concept, hard when things are exploding left and right, right. <laughs> and you got to count your debuffs and, and not die to the puddle and all the other shit going on. Yeah. Um, but we we do that successfully, and um, then we get, of course, the the Phoenix Eggies coming out now, uh, which will uh, be kind of like a dive bomb ish mechanic. Right. So um, you just have to make sure you don't drop those dive bombs near players, and they go off safely elsewhere. Um, still hurts, but don't kill the party with them, please. Yeah, so there's and there's also ads out here that are doing um, like um, linear AOEs out in front of them. Um, so they're gonna like turn around and do like um, you know from wherever they are. It's not like all the way across the arena, which is helpful. Um, but they're throwing out AOEs in front of them, and also people will be tethered with the dive bomb phoenixes. Yep. So they just need to make sure they're running in the right spot. And I can't 
sell enough how chaotic it is actually in in the thick of it there oh my god there is, yes this does not happen in sequence this happens all at once so you got the flame puddles yeah and yep. you got the dive bombs and you've got the aoe's yep. on the ground and you and also you have to like brands you, you got to learn the timing of the dive bomb too because you got to like bait it outside so that it's not going to hit anybody yep. else um but also have enough time for yourself to run away because it will hit really hard so Yep. You know, good luck to you. And of course, if you die, then you start to tick up the boss's strength and yeah. the enraged timer. So that's another factor, too. So again, uh, we squeaked it out barely, but it was definitely barely. Uh, but still, still a win. Oh, yeah, it was great. After Phoenix is slain, it fades into ether, and the twins are silent for a moment. Then Alize speaks. Finally, grandfather's at peace. However, Louis-Soi's soul, the real one materializes so this is this is actual louis Swa now this JK, is not evil louis Swa. i'm alive yeah like ew. grandpa's back again lamau he thanks us the warrior of light for releasing him from bahamut's control obviously because alize and alfino weren't fighting him so this is this is like really emotional so this is alize and alfino and louis Swa having their you know, the conversation that they've probably wanted to have for the last five years. Well, first, Alfino begs for forgiveness. Right. He didn't mean to demean Louis Soi, like a rare moment of humility for Alfino. Yes. No, says Louis Soi. He's proud of who Alfino has become. And maybe not yet, but. I, I, I mean, this is, this is granddad. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and honestly, for however old this Alfino is, 16. <laughs> He's getting it done, okay? He might be a bit of a dick, but he's getting it done. Alfino's getting it done. Yeah. Put that on a shirt. <laughs> but he also makes sure to tell Alfino that he was wise enough to determine what Louis Swa had become. Like, you saw through that. Like, look at you. Like, you were talking to the asshole Louis Swa. You don't need to ask forgiveness for that. Um, and then uh, Louis Swa tells the, the tale of the calamity. The true tale of the Battle of Cartineau. Right. Twas there in the sky above the surging armies that the elder primal Bahamut broke free of the Red Moon Dynamo. In an effort to contain this avatar of destruction, I called upon the Twelve to aid me in the creation of a prison of ether. But Bahamut would not be caged by such feeble bars. Too vast was his might, too fierce his rage. We get a FMV dropped into this in-game cutscene right here. And this is the finale to that FMV from the uh, right. Realm Reborn. This is this, this is this is the the missing missing pieces. Like right. we, we didn't see this level of detail. We just knew that Louis Swa did something. Because this picks up where the Flames of Truth FMV left off. Like essentially it finishes off that FMV, the one that plays or the one that you can play from the um the game's main menu if you want to play like the A Realm Reborn FMV intro. Also the one that played at the end of Final Fantasy XIV 1.0. So this concludes that whole sequence. And what happens here is that, as we know, the, the calling of the Twelve was insufficient to contain Bahamut. So Bahamut breaks free from this prison of ether. 
his might and rage are too great. Realizing this, Louis Soi expends lots of his strength to entrust his hope to the future. He teleports the kind of, you know, iconic warriors of light forward in time into a realm reborn from 1.0, from the Battle of Carchino, so they can carry forward their hope and light, etc., into mm-hmm. the next generation. Mm-hmm. And that's where the last FMV ended. With Louis Wad disappearing, we don't know what happened. Right. You know, big yeah. question mark. We just see him enveloped in this blue light and, yep. you know, that like smile across his face, just like a, a last moment of peace, but not knowing exactly what the fuck is happening. But what the fuck is happening is that Louis Swa here, he is surrounded now by sundered pillars of light. These are the sundered sigils of the Twelve. You know, when he, he called them up, we saw in the original FMV, they rose forth and now they're broken, like kind of shattered crystal at yeah. the moment. However, when the Twelve's binding failed, the ether remains. We can see there are still motes of ether in the air, densely floating around, uh, even though the binding has failed. This ether, this raw potential, responds to the prayers of the warriors fighting in the Battle of Carchenau, their hopes for Louis Spa to save them in this moment. And this energy and belief activate the raw ether, mm-hmm. channeling it into Louis Swa. He transforms into a primal, becoming a wash with white light. He launches himself into the sky towards Bahamut. He conjures a warding circle, trying to halt the descent of a massive fireball. Now, I'm not clear if this is either like a flame from Bahamut or if it's like the primary mass of Dalamud that we're looking at here. It's kind of hard to tell. Because it's like a burning ball, but also yeah. it seems to have like some sort of like mass to it too. Right, yes. Because if it's Dalamud, Bahamut has gone back now inside Dalamud at some point, which seems like an odd move, frankly. But he's inside this flaming mass, and Louis Swa tries to block his descent with this, this circle of light. However, his second circle shatters, the awarding circle shatters trying to block this descent, and it looks like the flaming mass is going to crash down into the earth crushing Louis Swa's infused self and unleashing destruction. But at the last moment, Louis Swa calls upon renewed energy and halts the collision of this mass. Then he propels himself into the inferno, into this flaming bulk, towards Bahamut's body who is inside this thing. The flaming bulk solidifies like cooling magma. Louis Swa breaks through it, erupting out the upper end of the cooling orb. Bahamu is likewise propelled out of this hardening mass, a beam of white light bursting through his body. This is the aftermath of Louis Swa's ascent. And now the scene slows down, and we see Louis Swa, his body starts to turn to raw ether. It dissipates into nothingness, essentially, into raw energy. Uh, so he's fading away. Bahamu likewise begins to break apart and then explodes. We are left with a vision of the battlefield in destruction. The land is warped into curving spires of volcanic rock that encircle a massive crater. Motes of ether rain down upon the land. So what has happened here is, of course, that Louis Swa was transformed into the phoenix and slew Bahamut. Once and for all, or so we thought. Hmm. Because though he rendered a death blow onto Bahamut, the victory, the sense that he had won, and so Louis Swa could let go of this massive collection of ether, of the land's ether he had collected, because as we know, primals hoard that ether. Louis Swa was like, all right, I did what I need to do. 
Now I will perish so the land can have the either back. Mm -hmm. But Bahamut was not yet dead. Even while dying, his will was so strong that he tempers Louisois the phoenix and seizes the phoenix's dissipating either and absorbs it into Bahamut's body, gaining enough strength to survive, though in a shattered form. And so that is what we found down below under first coil, that kind of growing shell of Bahamut, what was left of him, what could be saved by the phoenix's either. And of course, it has been regenerating since then in the time we've been going through coils. I'm assuming that having regained the strength, Bahamut himself actually kind of found this safe space deep underground. No, he he went there alone. There were not coils there then. He's like, I got to peace out and get better. Right. So he goes deep in the earth. And the coils, the fragments of Dalamud, do what they do, and they seek out his Sought body. Sought him out, yes, to do it again. To do it again. So now Louis Swah calls upon us to stop Bahamut's regeneration. No one will have a world left if the primal is reborn, neither us nor dragons. Yep. Louis Swah then goes to turn off uh, the last coil. Um. And creates a portal to the final. Uh, well, I guess he turns off he turns off one of the coils and creates a portal to the last Hulk. And he asks his grandchildren to. It's like out. just across the room. There's a portal to like. There's a portal to over away. there. That's you know it's easier. It is. And um, you know this is where he kind of kneels down and and puts a hand on each shoulder and he asks them to find their own reasons to fight for Agorzia. And Alfino is like, yep, got it. Uh, and Alize doesn't have a lot of confidence in this moment. She doesn't say anything. Louisois tells her that she reached him uh, before with her words, even while he was, you know, in, in enthralled um, because of her conviction. And she spoke of Louisois' faith in the strength of people with such intensity that perhaps that has become her nadir as well. So he's like, you know, maybe you haven't found your own reason, but there's something there to explore. Like you you have you have enough personal devotion to the cause that, you know, like you're just you're right around the corner figuring this out. In true, like I'm a grandpa and I'm giving you encouragement way. Alice bids Louisois to take his rest at last. He kneels down to hold their shoulders and bestow his final secret. He says there are records of an art that allows one to summon the power of a primal from the essence of its demise. Summoning, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. And this is Louisois' gift to them, the dying essence of the phoenix. And with that, Louisois expires again, dissolving at last into ether. And the twins, not mournful but uplifted, they bid us continue. Our task remains undone. And that's where we leave off this time.
next time we will be taking on the final coil. Bahamut himself. Any turns one through three comments, Jen, before we sign off? This is probably the heaviest chunk of content um, in the whole coil series, at least for me. You know, obviously because Alize and Alfino finally get a chance to have uh, an earnest conversation with actual Louisois and, you know, not not his shade, not as Phoenix, not as, as anything. So there's there is so much catharsis in that moment. Um, and also understanding that, you know, Alize now has a reckoning personally. At least she was able to hear her grandfather tell her that she's 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 doing the right thing um and her heart's in the right place and also getting the the quote-unquote truth of the calamity when before we thought we like we well we knew what happened i mean really like louisa did something and saved the realm and great um but that wasn't enough for elise and because of her efforts we were able to figure out exactly what what happened there um, and it, it actually, Louisois' contribution to Eorzea's salvation, uh, is, is even more impressive than we thought. And just, he, he sacrificed himself in, in more ways than we thought. Like he, he didn't, he didn't just die. Like he, he persisted in a really, he persisted as, as a primal, as a thrall to Bahamut, and I can't imagine what that existed felt like. As you know, he had the, even like the wherewithal on, during all this time. But I guess five years is a lot better than millennia, you know, because Bahamut had. But yeah, it was. It's it's extremely emotional. It's 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 heavy. It's a roller coaster. Yeah, that's it. Well, all true. <laughs> Thanks. I don't have anything to add. Uh, all all well said, Jen. So thank you. Thank you. And uh, I am looking forward to next time when we finally bring the coil story to a close. Mm -hmm. So we'll see you then. And that will do it for today's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. If you would like to get in touch, you can at podreturnffxiv at gmail.com or uh, check the show notes for Discord, join the Discord and uh, talk to your fellow warriors of light. Share your glams. Share your experiences. Talk about other video games. Like, fuck it. It's an amazing group of people. If you ever want to join us on a future group one, that's where we would uh, ping you for that. I'm sorry I used the word ping. And we uh, also have the patreon.com slash podreturnffxiv where for uh, a buck, um, a little tip jar, something, something, we actually release content there as well about once a month on seasonal stuff, uh, other adjacent content in the game that doesn't necessarily relate to the MSQ as we do in the main show. Um, but if you want to drop us a tip, we would really appreciate it. And um, yeah, again, so like, thanks for being you. And we hope you enjoyed the episode. Have a good day or night. And we will see you next time.